Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Good to be in this atmosphere of worship and prayer. I know we're, for some of you who maybe aren't used to a gathering that um, stays a little bit slower, <laughs> a little bit quieter, uh, we do that on purpose just to keep this evening, um, this moment, you know, a moment where we can really um, reflect on the meaning of this day and the meaning of the cross and the death of Christ. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to John 19. I'm going to read from there and, um, and just take some time to reflect on one aspect of this night. John chapter 19, verse 38. And John, the gospel writer, I mean, like all the other gospel writers, have written about this pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. And uh, there's different scenes throughout the gospels. And here I'm picking up this scene after the crucifixion. And so verse 38 says this, after these things, in other words, after these things that have just taken place, where John has described the crucifixion of Christ. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. And now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So, you know, here we are, we read this text, and um, you may be thinking, Dave, why did you pick a scene after the death of Christ? Like, why aren't we focusing on the death of Christ? And, um, well, it's all part of the same story. And like I told you before, while every scene in this story in the life of Jesus can be kind of focused on for so long, and, and uh, this, this one jumped out at me, Uh, leading up to Easter this year. Of course, Good Friday uh, is about the death of Christ, what he did for us for the world, absorbing the consequence of sin, being crowned king in a very paradoxical way, like an upside-down kingdom, in a sense. But tonight I want to focus on on the burial of Christ, just after his death. And there's three ideas that jumped out at me uh, through this scene. And one was this theme of adoration or admiration. The other one is association. And the third one is this sense of anticipation. And um, I know all three A's. What can I tell you? It just kind of came that way. But <laughs> and I was drawn to this scripture because the earthiness of it, the ordinariness of it, really the humanity of it. And if you notice, it takes place at night. Uh, it's in the evening on that, on just leading into this weekend. And the other gospel writers say the same thing. It's a sense of it's evening, it's dark, and it's perfect lighting for two followers of Jesus that didn't want to be seen 
For two followers of Jesus that would rather have remained, uh, you know, out of the spotlight. In fact, Joseph is called a secret disciple. Have you ever heard of a secret disciple? I, I love to, to push people when they, when they kind of really say, like, you know, a disciple has to be super public. And I'm like, there's this guy named Joseph. They call him a secret disciple. I, you know, maybe it's not his long-term following of Jesus, but for this moment, they still call him a disciple. I kind of, I really love that. Um, and so we have Joseph, referred to as a, as a secret disciple. We have Nicodemus, who the first time he went to go meet Jesus, we read it in the, earlier in this gospel, he also goes at night because he doesn't want to be seen as he meets Christ. And here we have both these two guys in this narrative, Joseph and Nicodemus. They're both part of the Jewish elites. They're both part of the Jewish religious system. Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews. John tells us that he is a Pharisee uh, earlier in the book. Joseph is a member of the Jewish council. We get this from another one of the Gospels. So he's part of the ruling group of Jews at the time. Like we said, he was known as a secret disciple, maybe because of all of his friends. Like he was part of this group of Jews, these Jewish leaders on this council, who were very likely opposed to Jesus. It was very possible that, that Joseph was present when they affirmed this plot or this desire to have this guy, Jesus, be killed. Maybe he opposed, uh, like, loudly, and that's why he's like, I hope nobody sees me. Maybe he was very silent, but they knew where he stood because they, they might be, knew that he was an admirer of Jesus. And so the text says that he's afraid of the Jews. He's afraid of what they will think if they know that he's going to bury Jesus. So he didn't want them seeing him give an honorable burial to someone they charged as a criminal. It wasn't the kind of burial that they would have anticipated because they saw him as a criminal and Rome charged him as a criminal. But here, I love this because we see the admiration of Joseph and Nicodemus. They really adore Jesus in this moment. And they don't worship him yet in the kind of way that we talk about worship because this is before Jesus has risen from the grave. This is before the church starts. This is before we start to understand the kind of worship of Jesus that came as they understood who he really was. So they weren't the typical Christ follower yet like you see in the book of Acts or you see throughout the early church or in history. They never saw, they didn't see Jesus rise from the dead at that point, but they loved him dearly. They adored him. They had listened to him, and they learned from him, and they wanted to learn from him. And yet, even though Joseph is called a secret disciple, he's still a disciple, one that is being shaped by Christ. And in that night, in that evening, they adore him, they honor him, they celebrate him. They give him dignity in the burial that they want to give him. And that adoration actually cost them quite a bit. It cost them time. Um, they were on the clock because the next day's Sabbath and, and you don't do this kind of stuff on the Sabbath. And so they were on a clock. They had to do this quick. But they took the time to prepare Jesus' body on a Friday so this wouldn't have to be done on Saturday. This cost them some physical effort. Uh, they had to move the body. I know it kind of, you know, kind of sounds morbid, but that's just the reality. They had to move the body. And that took energy and strength and a physical activity to do that and to prepare. It cost them their reputation. They both went at night, right? They both were maybe cautious of what some might say of them they, if, if they found out right away. This, this is not like, like today, you know, uh, you know, we talk about like being bold for Jesus and like this is very new. This is like brand new. 
They're following this person. They admired him. They respected his teachings, but he, now he dies. So if there's a moment where you don't want to be seen, it's with the one who was crucified, right? And so they risk their reputation to do this, and it costs them money as well. A uh, hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. Uh, in, our, in our kind of like measurements, I understand that to be about 75 pounds. Have you ever carried a 75-pound bag of like flour or a 75-pound bag of spices or something? Uh, I remember when the pandemic first hit, my wife and I maybe bought like a couple of kilos of rice, you know, <laughs> and it was maybe like this bag. I have, you know, 75 pounds is a lot. And so the quantity of the aloe and myrrh, the quality that Nicodemus would have purchased, all to make sure that Jesus' body would be wrapped up smelling nice and be properly buried. It cost Joseph as well, because Joseph is likely using his family tomb. He, he, you know, you didn't just have a tomb. You had to buy a tomb, just like in these days you often buy a burial plot or something. And so it was something paid for by his family or paid for by himself. And we understand it's a new tomb, which means no one had ever used it. Now, tombs in those days were often used and reused. And sometimes multiple bodies were in these tombs because a body just stayed in a tomb for about a year before they transferred it to another location. And so imagine that this tomb was brand new, never used maybe newly purchased. There's a wonderful man that um, was part of our church. He had passed away a few years ago. His name was Wesley, and his wife, Vimy, was actually greeting you at the door tonight. And Wesley uh, had a great heart and also a great sense of humor. I went to go visit him a few weeks before he passed away. And ironically, he said, Dave, um, you should buy a burial plot now. I said, why? He says, you know those things go up like 7 or 8% a year? It's going to be expensive when you're 70. I think you should pick it up now. I'm like, okay, I'll think about it, Wesley. And uh, I never, I haven't bought one yet. But um, just so you know. But the idea is that, like, this was an investment from Joseph for someone that's not part of his family so Jesus could have a proper burial. They loved Jesus too much to let him remain in a Roman hole. What they did to criminals. They loved Jesus too much. They adored him. They admired him. And in this sense of adoration, there was something else that, that's happening here in this that I think is so important for us. There was an association with Jesus as they're doing this. They could relate to Jesus when they buried him. It's weird to think about it that way, but we can almost understand an association. Let me just play like a fun game with the kids. When kids, when I say school, what word comes to mind? Girls, what word, when I say school, what, what do you think? Say it all out. Morning? Boring. Did I hear boring? Okay. <laughs> Learning. Oh my gosh. COVID has killed my memory. Okay, so good. School. Okay, man. Yeah, learning is much better than boring. Thank you, guys. Okay, if I say rain, what, what comes to mind, kids? Water. If I say TV, what comes to mind? Okay. Adults. Adults, when I say school, what comes to mind? <laughs> well, there's multiple answers there. When, when we think, when we say burial, don't tell me what comes to mind, but 
There's an association there. But I don't want you to go to where our minds normally go, but I want you to think about this. Burial is one of the most common things that happens to humans. It runs through history like food and work, laughter and play and music and walking. It's about as human as human can get. The scripture says, from dust we come, to dust we go. Joseph and Nicodemus are burying Jesus. I think there's a, an, an association there of whom, one whom they admired. Maybe they called a friend. I'm not sure. But there was a human connection. You know, when, when we read about what is the main points of the gospel, when Paul summarizes it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus died, rose again, and ascended. Did I miss, did anybody, did I miss one? Yeah, Paul actually says Jesus died, according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended. It's actually part of the gospel, the burial of Christ. It's, in, it's reflected in the Nicene Creed that after centuries the church would keep this as part of the central understanding of who Christ is. It's, it's part of Christian doctrine that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Paul writes this hymn in, in Philippians 2, or maybe he quotes the hymn where it's as though Jesus was equal with God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a human, became obedient to death. The, the scriptures and over history, we understand Jesus as fully God and fully man. They didn't get the fully God part yet, Joseph and Nicodemus. I don't think so. I, I, I don't want to speak for them. Maybe they did already see this, but... They did associate with Christ in this human way as they're bearing him. Because it's a human thing. And also to be buried, you know what, think about this. And this is what was helpful for me walking through this text. To be buried is not just something for when you die. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we also feel buried while we're living. Not physically buried. But when you're asked sometimes, how's it going? Oh my gosh, I'm buried at work. Oh my gosh, I'm buried, you know, by this problem. Oh my gosh, if you would understand the conflict that's going on in my relationship, I just feel so buried by this conflict. And often I, I feel buried. Do you ever feel buried? Just buried under the weight of something? Maybe financially buried or emotionally buried or socially buried or relationally or sometimes because of health issues physically buried or maybe buried under commitments or buried under conflicts or buried under crisis it's a metaphor for a burden that someone carries we often use this word buried for a burden for something that someone carries a struggle or a sacrifice or pain or pressure and i think that's partly why we can associate with jesus here Jesus was buried. He was stuck. He was trapped. He was locked in. Physically speaking, it's the end of the road. He was buried. And so think about this for a second for you. What, what are you buried under these days? What are you buried under? If you had to finish the sentence that's on the screen, I'm buried under... Nick's buried under some fatigue. He just shared it with us. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes you're tired. You're just buried under energy. 
So bear, what are you buried under? Just if you had to fill that in, don't, don't say it out loud, but I'm buried under. And I want you to understand, when you think about that, Jesus knows what it feels like to be buried. Jesus knows. Jesus felt. Jesus experienced. Jesus waited. Jesus was buried. My invitation to us this Good Friday, and I know we can talk about so many things about Good Friday. I'm going to invite our team to come back as we, we move forward in this next moment. But I want to invite you to bring that to Jesus. Whatever you're buried under, whatever you're buried under, to bring it to Christ. The cross and death and burial of Jesus is an, is an invitation to bring yourself fully to Christ. Fully to Christ. You can bring yourself fully to Jesus. Because his death is like no other death. His death redeems. His death restores. His death rescues. His death forgives. His death transforms. And so, whether we're buried in circumstances or feelings or issues, or ultimately we're all buried because of sin, we can come to Christ. He redeems us and he rescues us. Isn't that amazing? And this short scene of his burial reminds us of how Joseph and Nicodemus associated with Christ in a human way, but also how Jesus associates with us when we feel buried. There's a writer, his name is Peter Orr. He wrote this uh, about Good Friday or about the theme of crucifixion, but he, he mentions the burial. He says, Jesus in his burial died the death of a creature and the death of sinners. By slowing down at the point of Christ's death, the Apostles' Creed, invites us to linger over the mystery of the Incarnation. The Incarnation meaning the humanity of Jesus. Fully, completely, actually, without having to cross your fingers or squint or look sideways, Jesus, the Son of God, died. And as the early church fathers never tired of saying of Jesus that which he did not assume, he could not heal. Jesus did not conduct his mission in a Haskim suit, meaning protected, but he completely identified with our humanity in order to heal all of our humanity. He completely identified with our humanity in order to heal all of our humanity. This is the beauty of, of Good Friday. This is the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We're going to move into a moment of communion. I told you that there's one other theme, the anticipation theme, but I'm going to save that for later because I want us in this next few moments to take this time um, to hold the elements in our hands as Jesus did with his disciples. And we're going to come to this moment of worship in a moment, but as, before we do, uh, we want to take these communion elements together. And when we think about these elements, it also reminds us of the humanity of Jesus, his, his broken body, his body broken for us like bread, his blood poured out for us like wine. 
The Apostle Paul says this. You can read it with me off the screen if you'd like or just listen. He says to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, my human body, my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we continue reading, I'm going to ask you to, there's two, two pieces of this cup and the top cover helps you lift it up so you can take the piece of bread. I invite you to take that bread. I'll give you a moment or two just to to do that and take your time. There's no rush. We're not rushing anywhere right now. The night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Let's break it together. He broke it. He broke it. And he said, this is my body that is for you. His body broken for us. His body given for us. His body buried for us. Let's eat the bread together. Paul continues, he says, in the same way he took the cup also, and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pull this top off the cup. Take a moment. Reflect on the cup we hold in our hands. A couple of thousand years from this moment, but still the cup, still reminding us to do this in remembrance of Jesus. This is my cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. Let's drink together.
And Jesus says, or Paul actually said, sorry, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, this is what we're doing tonight. This is what we have done. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, what we've just done with these elements and sharing this moment together is one of the most Christian practice, Christian thing, Christian commitment through the centuries. And my encouragement to you is any time that we break bread like this, and we do it monthly here at Westside, once a month on the first Sunday, and in evenings like this, I'd say don't let anything stop you from being present. We're encouraged here. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Such an important practice around the table with these elements. Let's worship together as the team leads us in this song.
off the screen to worship. I just encourage you to take this moment to lean in, to worship with your own words, your own expressions. Respond to God personally. Whether it's quietness or in prayer. Just affirming some of the themes we read from Scripture tonight. you to express that to the Lord right now. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lamb of God, we worship you. Lamb of God, we worship you. You are good. You are good, Lamb of God. You are good. to verbalize directly with the Lord some of the things that you feel buried under right now and bring that to Him. But also invite the work of the cross into your life. Not, not just for those things that are, you feel buried under, but because God so longs for you to know Him deeply and to grow in relationship with him. Maybe some of these things have become obstacles.
God wants you to know that he, he knows and he's with you through them maybe out of them God, right now we just declare back to you the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried, raised to life according to the scriptures and ascended. And then even in the moment of his death and burial, there was purpose. redeeming the world, reconciling the world to yourself. Oh God, we pray for the pockets of the world that long for reconciliation. And we pray for some even here tonight that feel unreconciled with you, God, that they could hear the invitation in Good Friday, in the death and burial of Jesus to them, that Christ knows their heart and Christ knows their sin and Christ knows their rebellion and Christ knows their separation and yet you still sent Jesus into a broken, sinful world. Lord, we declare that, that truth, the glorious truth, God. Lord, may you fill our hearts and our minds with that truth and remind us and if anyone here this evening, God, is longing for reconciliation with you, oh God, may they know that you sent Christ to reconcile them to you. Yes, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. <laughs>